Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Breaking oppression. So what is oppression? How can we, how can we define oppression? And oppression is defined this way, unjust or cruel exercise of authority or power or control. Unjust or cruel exercise of authority or power or control. So to put it in other words, we can describe oppression this way. Uh, oppression is being held, being held down, uh, ruled over with a rod of iron, uh, trampled upon, brought to one's knees, uh, weighed down, preyed upon, crushed, afflicted. Sure, at one point in time, or maybe even currently, uh, we've all been through some type of oppression. And there are many examples we can read in the Bible. I think the one that is the, the one that stands out the most, the one that can example it the best, is the oppression the Israelites experienced while in Egypt, while they were enslaved in Egypt. I'm going to turn to uh, Exodus, we're going to go to uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Starting in verse 6, it says, In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we, if we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal, brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Fidom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy and made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So the Israelites, we can see, were suffering oppression. And they were suffering oppression at the hands of the Egyptians. And this is referenced throughout the Bible. You'll, you'll find a continual theme, a continually re referencing uh, what took place to the Israelites as a type and shadow of what takes place in our lives. And here's what I mean. This is exactly what takes place in our lives when we're under sin. When we're under the bondage of sin. Before we come to Christ, we are enslaved to sin, every one of us. So when we read this story, we should think of our own condition prior to new birth. All of us have been enslaved to the dominion of sin one time or another. Paul says it this way, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why we need someone to come to save us both from the power and the penalty of sin. And after we come to Christ and experience new birth, this is, this is God's desire under grace. Catch it, listen to it. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion, power, control over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, just as Pharaoh had dominion over the Israelites, sin had dominion and power over us. Before we came to Christ, before we experienced new birth, sin had dominion over us. And remember this, church, 
Jesus did not endure the cross for us to remain in that condition. He did not give his life, pour out his blood for us to remain under the dominion of sin, controlled by our own sinful nature. Jesus came to set us free from our sin and so that we can live a life free from the dominion of sin. So here is the question I have for you. Are we experiencing this promise? Are we living free from the dominion of sin? If not, perhaps we're experiencing oppression. So as you attempt to fulfill God's plan for your life, because God has a plan and a purpose for every human life, as you attempt to live out that plan, you will encounter hindrances. That is normal. It's typical. It's going to take place. But here's the question. Some of those hindrances may seem immovable, almost like they have control, almost like they have such a foothold that they have dominion in your life. Church, that should not be the situation. Jesus did not give his life for us to live that life. So if this is the case, perhaps we are experiencing oppression. Now, please hear me on this. Oppression and possession are not the same thing. Possession, if you are born again, you cannot be possessed. You are possessed by Jesus. He bought you. He redeemed you. He bought you back. You belong him. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But you can be oppressed if you are born again. So when we read the story of the Israelites under the control of Pharaoh, it's a spiritual picture of what has taken place in our lives prior to salvation. Prior to new birth, we can make efforts to live right. I'm sure there were times where each of us came to this place where, man, I'm just not living right. You're not born again, but you realize you're not living right. I know before I got saved, leading up to that period, I was trying to do the right thing. I just, I felt conviction. God was moving in my life. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. So I tried to live right. And every time I tried to live right, I would do okay for a while, but then I would just go back. And sometimes this is the case. Sometimes people will try to live right. They'll try to do it on their, by themselves. And what happens is they end up more severely bound than before. Why? Because we're under control of our sinful nature. We are slaves to sin, controlled by the desires of our sin nature. Sin is like this. Before you get saved, sin's like a bungee cord that you got strapped to your back. You know, you can take off running. You're trying to flee from it. You're going away from it, and all of a sudden that thing stretches out, and it just snaps back, and it brings you right back to where you were. You were under the dominion of sin, under the control of sin. Sin should not have that kind of dominion over you if you are born again. Again, we're not talking about perfection here, but sin should not have dominion, power, control over your life if you are born again. Let's go back to the Exodus story, back to Exodus chapter 1. Let's look at it with a little bit more detail, the story that we read. Let's uh, begin in verse 11. It says this, So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. Remember, keep that spiritual picture in your mind. As we read through this story, this is our lives prior to coming to Christ. So the Egyptians made the Israelites, and put yourself in the position of the Israelites, their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Phidim and Ramses as supply centers for the king. So Pharaoh oppressed Israel, hoping this, that the brutality that he would show them, that they would have no desire to reproduce, so that he could just wear them out, that they had no time for each other, and that this way he could control their population. And that's exactly what oppression does. There's a control factor. Again, before we come to Christ, we're under the control, the dominion of sin. Israel was forced to build the cities of Phidim and Ramses. Israel could not fulfill God's plan for their life. Why? Because they're under the dominion and control of Pharaoh. 
enslaved to Egypt. They were forced to carry out the plans of Pharaoh. So oppression will make you feel like you're owned or controlled by someone or something. For example, if you're experiencing, let's say, sexual addiction or lust, you may feel like you're owned by that sexual desire that you're controlled by. Oppression makes you feel like you have zero control or you're forced to comply. You're forced to submit to desires and the will of someone or something else. So just keep that in your mind. This is the picture of who we are before we come to Christ. Let's go on to verses 12 and 13. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. Pharaoh is wielding control over the, the Israelites, and he's oppressing them with no mercy. See, sin has no mercy upon us. Sin, this world, the devil, has no mercy upon us. It's not concerned about our feelings. It's not concerned about our well-being. So whatever or whoever is oppressing us wants us to carry out its desires, its demands. And that's what you have to remember. The Israelites did not care if they overworked the, the Israelites. They didn't care if they were tired. They didn't care if they were hungry. They didn't care if they collapsed under the load of work that Pharaoh piled upon them. What the, what, what the Egyptians want to do is you do what we say you're going to do. We want to control you, want to keep you exactly doing what we want you to do. So they were ruthless in all their demands. Exodus 1.14, they made their lives bitter. Boy, that's what oppression will do. It'll make you bitter. Forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Again, under this intense oppression, the Israelites became bitter. And bitterness is a powerful tool. Please hear me. Bitterness is such a powerful tool that Satan will use it if you have it in your life after you're born again. And what bitterness will do, it will try to develop hopelessness within you. So the Israelites were demoralized by their treatment and no longer felt like human beings because they were owned, because something owned them, something controlled them. There, there is nothing more demoralizing than feeling like you are owned or you are controlled, that you have lost control, that you, are, you don't belong to yourself. Now we find this interesting because this is exactly what we're supposed to do in Christ. We're supposed to lose ourselves, but there's not a bondage there. There is a freedom there. It's completely different. It's amazing how this world and sin will, work, will kind of wove a different narrative. Listen to what God's Word says. Let's go back to Exodus. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So what does God do in response? The Israelites cry out. They get to this place where they're like, God, I'm just, all I have left, all I can do is just cry out to you. They cry out to God, and what does God do? He sends them Moses. And Moses, when you look at Moses, this is important. This, again, remember, this is our lives. This is a spiritual picture of our lives prior to Christ. Moses is a messianic figure. Moses is a type, a shadow of Christ. He is a deliverer. He has come to deliver the Israelites out of their bondage. So he's a messianic figure. Paul writes this about Israel and their example, the spiritual example, and how it relates to the Israelites fleeing Egypt. Check this out, 1 Corinthians 10. 
verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to become unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. We're referencing the Red Sea here, the parting of the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual fruit, which was manna, bread from heaven. Isn't Jesus the bread of life? And all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So again, Moses is a type of Christ. The Passover, remember, this precedes the Passover. This is the event that takes place that delivers them out of Egypt. The Passover lamb sacrifice foreshadows the death of Jesus. The blood is applied over the doorpost, right, of the home. And the death angel passes over. Remember, Jesus is the Lamb of God. As Israel passes through the Red Sea, as they're fleeing Egypt, it serves as their baptism. Get the spiritual picture. They have left sin. They are baptized. They are fleeing from Egypt. And where do they go? On the other side of the Red Sea. Now, this is a picture on the other side of the Red Sea of their life of Christ. Salvation. They're now free from the bondage of sin. And now they can complete God's plan for their lives. Out of Egypt. How does God lead them? How does God lead them so they can walk in newness of life? See a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads them. How does he do so? A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God leads them. God is leading Israel towards the promised land, towards salvation, toward the finality of their, of their salvation, to heaven, as they press forward towards their heavenly goal. So if you are born again, you've been set free from the dominion of sin, period. You are set free to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit then to walk in newness of life. But many of us are like the Israelites. We have experienced salvation. We've been set free from the dominion of our sin. But we aren't experiencing the freedom that we should. We aren't experiencing the freedom that is available to us through Christ. Jesus said this in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. Free indeed. Jesus came to liberate us from the dominion of our sin so that we're no longer held captive by the power and by the penalty of sin. No longer under the control, the dominion of sin. Sin is not supposed to have dominion over us if we are born again. When Israel passed through the Red Sea, they were free. When we know this, the Egyptians try to come in after them, but God closes the sea over them. But did they live free? That's the question. They were set free, but did they live free? Same question we have to ask. We've been set free, but are we living free? And some of us have experienced the goodness of God. And like Israel, we don't live in freedom, the freedom that's available to us. And we continue to experience oppression. Oppression is such a liar. It will tell you that there is no hope, there is no freedom. It's a bottomless pit, it's a lie. Oppression is like an open door. An open door that allows the opportunity for oppression to have access into our lives. Israel experienced oppression uh, after the Exodus. After they, they leave Egypt, they still experience oppression. This time, it's not, it's not the Egyptians. They're gone. They're dealt with. But they still, they still deal with oppression. This time, it's not the Egyptians. It's not another enemy. This time, it's themselves. The oppression that they face is from themselves. Here's one of the doors the Israelites left over. And this, oh, left open, excuse me. Israel was angry with God. The Israelites were angry with God. You ever been angry with God? Frustrated with God? See, God had led them to Egypt through Joseph. 
God allowed the Israelites to be enslaved. Israel cried out to God, and who does God send them? Moses. Why, why can't you just get us out of here? You brought us here. Why can't you just get us out of here? A lot of them didn't even care for Moses. Continual rebellion. I mean, just continually speaking ill. Later, when God is about to lead the Israelites into the promised land, let's move forward in the story. Because God's desire was for the Israelites to leave Egypt, go through the desert, and enter into the promised land. Take it. But it didn't happen. Of course, we know that. What does Israelite do? They're perched on the outside of the promised land, sending spies. Nothing wrong with that. God's okay with it. Go check it out. Go scan it out for yourselves. It is as good as I told you it'd be. They send in spies, and the spies come back with the report. Joshua and Caleb have the favorable report. You know, they don't lie about the report. The, the land has challenges. There are giants. There, there are walled cities. But the land God is giving us is great. It is just as he said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God didn't leave us out of Egypt to bring us to a place that is secondary. No, this place is much better. The other spies, of course, bring back the unfavorable report. The land is good. We, we agree with that, but we cannot take it. We, we cannot possess the land. Listen to how Israelites respond to their report. Listen very carefully. I mean, they're, you can tell they're angry. They're better with God. Numbers chapter 14, verses 3 through 4. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Why did the Lord bring us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should be victims why not, why not Why it not be better for us to return to Egypt? We should have stayed there. Life was better. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They've had manna from heaven. They've had water from a rock. They've had all these miracles, the plagues that didn't harm them, passing through the Red Sea. I mean, the presence of God alone, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day that leads them. And still they come up with this week. We just need to go back to Egypt. See, oppression will do this for you. It will tell you, it will lie to you, it will speak to you. It will say, you know what, life is better if you just give up. Just accept this as your new reality. The oppression Israel suffered in Egypt lingered in their hearts, and they didn't trust God. That is exactly what it comes down to. They didn't trust God. We go back to Egypt, we know what we're facing there. In front of us, we don't know what's there. I, we would just rather go back to Egypt. At least we know what life is like when we're enslaved. They didn't want to trust Moses to lead them into the promised land. They didn't want to trust God. They want to go back to Egypt. Many of us are like the Israelites. Israel physically free from oppression. But in their hearts and in their minds, they're still enslaved. Enslaved, oppressed by their past. But this is not God's plan, nor is it his will for our lives. If you're born again, you are free. You are free from the dominion of sin. John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Many of us are free, but in our minds, in our emotions, the remnants of Egypt are still there. That our lingering past keep us bound, oppressed by our past, oppressed by our fleshly desires, oppressed by our pain. If you're born again, the devil does not have any right or authority over you unless you give it to him. Some of you have been frustrated, suffered for years under the oppression of Satan. And it's time for you to experience true freedom in Christ. I mean, Jesus gave his life for you to be free. God has a wonderful plan for your life, but you can't, you won't experience it 
unless you fully allow this to take place, that you allow the freedom that Christ gives you, that you walk in it and that you experience it. Because you always be tied to something. Jesus spoke these words in the synagogue of Nazareth, repeating the words spoken through the prophet Isaiah 700 years prior. This is a messianic prophecy. This is what the Messiah will do when he comes to earth. Uh, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sins. Aren't you grateful for that? But Jesus came to save us from the power of our sin. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. So what? So we can follow his plans. Live out his purpose. Remember this. His plan is better than your plan. His plan is better than your plan. Oppression is a tool Satan uses against us. And here's the irony of, of, of oppression. It's a tool that we put into his hands. He has no control, no authority, no power over our lives unless we put that power and authority in his hands. You, you shall not be under the dominion of sin, but under grace, under God's mercy, under God's law, under God's authority. But when we put ourselves, our, we put that tool in his hands, he will use it against us. And remember, he is like Pharaoh. He is merciless. He will show you no mercy. You can't tap out and say, okay, I'm done. No, that's not the way it works. See, we have a real spiritual enemy whose desire is revealed through the words of Jesus. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to what? You can finish it. Steal, kill, destroy. I think sometimes we handle Satan this way. You know, he's like a pesky fly that just won't go away. A spiritual irritant. No, he is a, an enemy, an adversary. Look, Paul describes it this way, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there is a transliteration of the Greek word methodia. Satan uses exactly what it sounds like, methods. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a method. He has a tool. He has schemes. He has a plot that he'll use against us in order to do what? Still kill, destroy. But he has no authority. You're not under his dominion. If you're born again, you're under the dominion of Christ. So one of the methods Satan uses against us is oppression. Paul goes on to say this about our spiritual enemy in verse 12. For we do not wrestle, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Satan is our adversary. We are not each other's adversaries. Satan is our adversary. We are not each other's adversaries. Satan is our adversary. He would love, love for us to do this. Love for us to focus on each other rather than our real enemy. For example, unforgiveness. Easy, easy, simple opportunity. A door that he could just kick wide open. Wide open and exploit. Why? Because unforgiveness defies God's command, God's word. The words of Jesus himself. It's one of the most basic things, the basic parts of Christianity. You can't love God and love people which are synonymous with each other without un with, with unforgiveness in your heart. It's impossible. I can't understand why this is going on in my life. Well, if you've got unforgiveness in your life, Satan will open that door and he'll exploit it. Why? Because you've given him that right. He doesn't possess you, 
But boy, he'll make you feel like he does. He'll exploit and use that purpose for oppression. And he can influence us to wrestle against flesh and blood, disobey God's word, which instructs us again to forgive. It is a wonderful opportunity for him, and he will take it. So while we face a real spiritual enemy who has a plan to destroy us, we, have, we serve a God who has a plan and purpose for our lives. Now here's the good news, church. Our enemy is defeated. He's already defeated. You don't have to defeat him. He's already defeated. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities. Didn't we just talk about principalities and powers? As our spiritual enemy, our adversary? Having disarmed principalities and powers, he, Christ, made a public spectacle of them. I mean, he's making fun of them on the cross, basically. Go ahead and do this. Go ahead and allow this to take place. Why? He triumphs over them through the cross. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, period. Now, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Read the back of the book, church. I don't want to say this, we win, because we don't. Jesus won. So since he's won and we belong to him, we win. So our spiritual adversary will do this. He'll lie. He will lie. He is a master of lies. He is the father of lies. He can spin a tale that you'll believe. Spin a narrative in order to what? Lure us into his plans, his purposes. Again, he can't take you. He can't steal. He has no right. He has no authority. But he will exploit. Remember this. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Satan had no right to take from Adam Eve what they gave him. It's the same thing for us under grace. Let's go back to the example of the Israelites in Egypt. Exodus 1.11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. Prior to leaving Egypt, the Israelites were what? Forced to obey the commands of Pharaoh. They had no control of themselves. Pharaoh had control over them and forced them to do whatever he wanted them to do. Now, if you're born again, Satan should not have this authority in our lives. Satan can't make you do what you, he wants you to do. I know you may feel like this. If you ever suffered oppression or if you are, are, are going through it currently, you can feel like you have no control. But remember this. And sometimes, well, I don't want to be in control. God's in control. God's given you a free will. You better have some control. Is not one of the fruit of the Spirit self-control? You haven't lost your free will. You haven't lost your ability to resist nor have you become someone's possession. You belong to Christ if you're born again. If you're born again, you weren't by, owned by someone or something else. Jesus owns you. He bought you. He purchased you. But Satan is crafty. He will exploit. He will exploit the opportunities we give him. Satan does not play by any rules. He'll lie. He'll cheat. He'll, he'll do whatever. He, do, he will not play fair. This is why we have to be wise to God through Scripture. It is so important for us to have a background, a standing of Scripture that we stand upon, that we know what God's Word says so we can identify the lie. Because the lie is convincing. Satan has a powerful tool. He is a master of deception. So we have to know God's Word and know what God's Word says about us rather than what the father of lies says. Jesus said Satan is a liar, father of liars. Go back again. Go back to the book of Genesis. What do we find him? In the garden. What is he doing? Lying. Lying his tail off. What does he do? He attempts to distort the truth. And that's exactly what he'll do in our lives. Distort the truth in order to gain access into man's life. Gain control. Satan will make you feel like he's in control, make you feel like he owns you, but it's not the truth. 
So God is almighty, remember this, and I understand he is sovereign, but he gives us a free will. Control under our own willful submission and obedience to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So self-control empowers us to willingly and joyfully obey God's word. And listen, if you're led by the Spirit, you're filled with, if you're in the right place, obeying God's word is not hard. It's not a hassle. It's not a burden. It's freedom. So when you are oppressed in an area of your life, you feel like you've lost control to someone or something. Someone else is in the driver's seat navigating your life. It's a lie that Satan is using against you. Something or someone is not in the driver's seat controlling you. You are experiencing oppression. If, that's, if that is the situation, you are being oppressed. Here's one of the best ways to gauge your situation. Do you feel like you've lost control? If you feel like you've lost control, then there might be a reason for that. I know I've said this, you haven't lost control. But Satan will do this, you've lost control. Your flesh will lie to you. I've lost control. What does God's word say? Remember, we've got to stand on God's word, not what we feel, not even what we think. We have to stand on the truth of his word. So if you experience oppression and you feel like you've lost control, you need to gain control then. How do you gain control? Through God's word. So have you lost control of yourself mentally? Have you lost control of yourself emotionally? Does the past have control over you? Do you feel like you are forced to feel, to think, to behave a certain way? Do you experience a sense of hopelessness because whatever is hindering you seems to be forcing you? Do you feel as if all your options are running out? Do you feel like you're consigned to accept a reality? Again, I hate this phrase that's come out of the pandemic, a new reality. No, no, no. Listen to what Jesus says. John 10, 10, the thief does not come to what again? Still kill and destroy. That's his plan. That's his purpose. But don't stop there, right? Because Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Not will, because you have a choice. You may have life, and you may have it abundantly. So Jesus did not come into your life so that you can, again, to continue to experience any type of oppression. And some of you are experiencing this type of oppression in your life. You aren't experiencing the plan God has for your life. Something's keeping you from it. You feel like the Israelites. You've been abandoned. You've been abused. You've been worn out. You're out of control. You lost hope in your situation. But again, I've got good news for you. The Word of God has not changed. He has a plan for your life to give you life, and life more abundantly. Satan's a liar. He'll appeal to your flesh. Have you ever done this? Have you ever believed something in your heart? You felt it, only to find out it wasn't true? But we all have these stories we've believed. At one time, we found out they weren't true. Our minds, our will, our, they'll lie to you. So important that we're grounded in God's Word. Satan, this world, your emotions will tell you this. There's no way. These words, please hear these words. Take these words out of your vocabulary. Know, at least know where they're coming from. There is no way. Impossible. This will never change. Hopeless. Hopeless. Just accept it as your new reality. Satan is a liar. This world is like Your flesh will lie to you. People will lie to you. And we need to identify areas of oppression in our lives, comparing them to what God says. What does the Word of God say? We need to allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do this this morning. Examine our hearts. And we need to be transparent before the Holy Spirit. Church, you'll never escape any type of oppression with pride, with arrogance, with I'll do things my way. Your plan doesn't work. Our plans doesn't work. God's plan works. If you need grace in your life, the Bible's very clear. Humble yourself. 
humble. Humility is such a powerful tool. So we need to be especially careful if we've been bruised or hurt by another person. It's the easiest opportunity Satan can exploit. It's one of the easiest areas that he can oppress. So being hurt by words or actions of people we love, we trust, we admire, we respect, it, if we aren't careful, it opens such a huge door for Satan to exploit and to oppress. And one way to combat oppression is by knowing, again, God's word standing upon it. Standing upon it. Even when everything else is, I mean, if you fall, stand back up, stand on God's word. What does God say about healing? When you stand on his word, what does his word say about healing? What does God say to you about your children? What does God say to you about your marriage? What does God say to you about your past? What does God say to you about your pain? What does God say to you about restoration? What does God say to you about freedom, about victory, about hope? What does God say, not does what the world says, not what the flesh says, not what your friends say, not what, what does God say? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.